All right, welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler, who's back from France. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. Back from France and finished with a special session this week, two-day special session. I know it's been, it was a super busy week for you with the special legislative session. We'll get to the redistricting in just a minute, because I think we probably have the most to talk about on that. Yeah. But uh, what can you tell us about the other issues of legislature? legislature well, address? we passed five or six bills. Um, I was I was the Senate floor sponsor of bail reform, which is a little bit of a yawner, but really important and um, involving people's constitutional rights. Um, we've been kind of ping ponging back and forth on on bail reform for the past two or three sessions. And kind of the issue there, Corey, is if you if your idiot brother in law or cousin gets arrested, does he sit in jail for a year and a half while he's waiting trial or does he get released and go back to his uh, while he's waiting for trial? Because maybe he'll be convicted. Maybe he won't. We, yeah. what, what we um, what we had prior to 2019 was if you were wealthy enough to post a bond, you could get out of jail while you're waiting trial. But if you were poor, like about 80 percent of our arrestees are, then you sit in jail the whole time, which mm. means you lose your job. Uh, you often lose your housing. You often lose your family. Uh, because your wife divorces you or, or your husband divorces you or whatever. Um, and so, you know, this really impacts people's lives. And these are people who haven't been convicted of anything. They've just been arrested. So, mm, yeah, really important stuff. So, you know, the uh, Dixie State name change, I think everybody understands it. Uh, the right thing to do was to change the name. And um, um, and I and one of the clinchers for me was. I believe that this issue would come back every single legislative session until we change the name. And I don't think, you know, it's kind of like pulling off a Band-Aid. Do you do it really fast, you know, so it's over in a few seconds, or do you do it really slowly so you draw, draw out the pain? And I felt like even though the citizens of St. George were against it, 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 it'll be better in the long run just to pull off that Band-Aid really quickly because it was a losing battle. And and here's what I'll, here's what I said on the floor, and here's what I'll tell you. I don't believe that Dixie was founded with racist intent. I don't believe the people of St. George are particularly racist at all. But I do believe, and this is really non-debatable, that for some people, um, the word Dixie is somehow a promotion or a celebration of the Confederacy. And that's not going to change. And um, what has been most compelling to me is to get emails from Dixie graduates who are interviewing for jobs in the South, Arkansas, Mississippi, et cetera. And every single interview, they're getting asked about this name Dixie on their resume. I guess the core question is, would you want your own child to have the, the name Dixie on uh, her, his transcripts? And not, yeah. because, uh, not because of what has happened in St. George or what's happened no. in Utah South, but as you said, the words have changed. And I think, you know, you can just chalk this up say the woke mob uh, won this round. And I mean, yeah. there was a, there was a Pew study that just was released the day before yesterday. It says that it's Democrats whose views have changed the most. So, I mean, it's Democrats that have become more radical on cultural issues, on race issues, on immigration, while Republicans have essentially stood still in, in their views. And I think there's, there's a lot of lessons to take from that, both uh, politics writ large in America, but also, for those folks in St. George and Dixie, it's like you stood, you stood still, but the world changed. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's the, it's the liberals, it's the progressives that are the aggressors here. And we finally, I think it's kind of great to have some proof positive from 
the left-leaning Pew Research Center. That is not a, a conservative organization by any, yeah. any stretch. Let's talk about redistricting. Yeah, for just a quick second. So the headline is, uh, we had this redistricting commission that was created. If the independent, the so-called independent commission, if they were trying their best to draw a seat that a Democrat could win for Congress, um, then 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 bravo. They did a very, on all three of their <laughs> maps, they did a very good job. Now, that's also called gerrymandering. If you draw a, a seat specifically for one particular purpose, rather than what the data shows, that is by definition gerrymandering. And so I've been saying for years, and I'll say it again, uh, Utah Democrats are not against gerrymandering. They're against Republicans doing the gerrymandering. And and what we saw here was a so-called independent district drawing uh, Democratic seats. And the other thing I'll say is if their objective was to say for the legislative maps, can we draw a map where we get as many of the legislators grouped in the same districts as possible? I, I believe one of their maps had uh, on the Democratic side, Brian King, Joe Briscoe, and uh, Jennifer. She had all; they had all three of those incumbents in one district. And um, one of the one of the principles that the U.S. Supreme Court has recognized that it's that it's okay to do when drawing maps is to recognize that the voters have an allegiance to their current representatives. So for instance, I've been represented by Chris Stewart in Congress for eight or nine years. If you draw me into Blake Moore's district, that's kind of a loss for me because I've gotten to know Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart's gotten to know my community. And so that's one thing that we are allowed to take into account. And it appeared to me and to many others that the independent commission was attempting, intentionally attempting to combine as many legislators as they could into the same districts. Um, and I'm not sure what, what objective they thought they were serving by doing that. So it does seem like the independent commission idea just really raised the expectations for Democrats for some reason. I mean, to me, it's a little bit surprising because, I mean, is it a big shocker that redistricting is a, is a political process? I mean, yeah. we have Illinois, Maryland, California, Oregon, who are erasing Republican districts as we speak. And some have already completed that task. And I mean, you hate to say it quite this, uh, this, this crass, but I mean, it's kind of like the, to the victors go the spoils. I mean, it's in the constitution for the legislature of the state. The, to, the state constitution. State, yeah, it's in the state constitution for the legislature to draw the boundaries. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And I mean, the independent commission could have, I mean, the legislature could have allowed that to go to court and be struck down. So you have a, you have a, a negotiated settlement, so to speak, in order to let the thing live. And, um, and I think that the expectations coming out of that were just, it seems to me like pretty clearly unrealistic on the part of a lot of Democrats in, the, in Utah. That even under the original Prop 4 language, the, le the legislature was never duty bound to adopt those maps. And, and so why would you expect that, that, that the legislature would necessarily follow it. I mean, again, I don't want to be entirely crass, but um, yeah. I think the reactions, I totally would expect if, uh, if you're, if you lose in a, in a political fight like this, you'd be upset and kind of bummed out, but some of the vitriol and some of the sort of like pushback is, it just seems a lot much more personal, almost like they, they really did think for, that, uh, that, that they were going to get their donut hole, like Salt Lake, um, 
preserved Democratic seat, which is just kind of funny. But anyway, a couple a couple of um, pieces that uh, that came out of that, I, I wanted to kind of raise like uh, Governor Cox had his uh, spent spent 35 minutes or so on on Twitter or on uh, Facebook doing a, so, something similar to this answering questions. And I thought it was kind of interesting and, and a little bit strange because I mean, he 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 said he's not basically he said the reason he doesn't want to he's not going to veto it is because he's not a bomb thrower which is another way of saying he would strongly consider it if not for the fact that there was a super majority so i i'm not sure that uh that i mean coming out of that you you got democrats extremely pissed saying basically like we thought you were going to be a, a, a squishy rhino and it turns out you're not but then he basically kind of said that he was going to if had a had there not been a super majority which I just found interesting. I mean, that was a good way to, I, I know that he's a split the baby type and, and he's very good at um, negotiations, but it did, I don't know. Yeah. So kind of interesting. I mean, the Democrats want him to vote like a Democrat and I think, yeah, they do. And, and, and he's uh, not going to do that. And he, he's not going to do that, but, um, but it, it was kind of interesting to me that he kind of implied that he would, if he had a choice, but anyway, uh, another piece coming out of it is uh, Evan McMullen. And I don't know if you, if you noticed this, but uh, he, he went up to the, Capitol steps and basically read off the the democratic talking points on this here's a guy who obviously his strategy is to win with democratic votes this guy's yeah. not a conservative he's not republican he's not anything like that at all he's he, all he is is a trump hater he's a trump hater who's come here looking for democratic votes looking for democratic money so he can pay off his campaign debt he owes $650,000 from his failed presidential campaign to Utah I mean, vendors. I mean, hey, if that's the strategy, it makes a lot of sense because you're going to get a lot of internet money from MSNBC watchers who, who yeah. are just excited to see someone running, uh, basically a, a left-wing, not Republican, running against uh, against Mike Lee. I, I hope, I really hope that, um, that Ali Isom and, uh, and Becky, I, I hope they call, call him out on it. They probably won't, but they should. They should say, "Hey, look, what we're trying to show here is uh, we're we're running a race against Mike Lee as Republicans, and this guy clearly is not. His strategy is he's a Democrat who's trying to basically run as a Democrat." Well, so one more thing that uh, that the legislature took up that I think is worth um, worth mentioning here, and that is the vaccine mandate. So the legislature, you guys created a, a new class of exemption that is uh, personal belief. So we know we've talked about on this podcast that. Uh, the Biden administration has vaccine mandates and it's, it's just gone and it's in the process of going into effect for companies with a hundred or, uh, well, or more but employees. Except that the fifth circuit court has stayed it. And, and well, the yeah. So court, I was about to get to that so. page decision, basically saying that they believe it's unconstitutional and then it, it likely will be overturned. So, well, so we, we don't know if it's going to be overturned. So you have a fifth circuit stay, it's going to go to a multi-circuit panel and very likely, uh, so that's going to happen next week. And uh, that's a judicial lottery. So we don't know which circuits could go. It could go to the Ninth Circuit. And of course, they would um, they would eliminate the stay. And you're looking at probably a Supreme Court taking it up probably the, the first week of December, most likely right after Thanksgiving. But I think, um, you know, the OSHA rule is much more complex than expected. And even, even the most sophisticated companies are going to have a really difficult time complying, especially by January 4th. So I think this, the legislature, what, what you guys did is probably going to be preempted, but um, that's what the courts will decide. I mean, that's, that's the question. In any event, I think the message is, is worthwhile because right now you got news media nationally and, 
and this, even in Utah, it annoys me to death to read uh, certain papers in Utah who continue to report that the litigation is, uh, you know, they'll say the litigation against the OSHA rule is legal experts say that the lawsuits are baseless, which is just dishonest. Yeah, and that's angry. a lie. That, that's I mean, a lie. And the fact of the matter is um, the way Biden has done this, he's bypassed Congress. Um, OSHA was never delegated the authority uh, to do vaccine mandates. Um, this is also written as an emergency rule. They didn't go through the public comment. Um, so it's being done as an emergency rule, even though Biden waited two months to show to release the rule. And then the rule and then the rule doesn't go into effect for another two months. And so it's it's such an emergency that we can't let Congress go, you know, go through its process and we can't solicit public input except from the unions. But it's not enough of emergency that we can't wait for four months. And quite frankly, even though I'm pro vaccine, I'm anti this federal mandate because this sets a very dangerous precedent for the future. If we let the federal government exceed its authority on this particular issue, what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next year and next decade and five decades from now? That's why we have to draw a line in the sand and say no, even though I wish and I encourage everyone to get a vaccine. One last topic. Inflation is here and uh, President Biden can no longer get away with dismissing it as transitory. The U.S. consumer prices spiked 6.2% in the past year. That's the highest inflation rate since 1990 in over 30 years. Biden's approval rating sits at a pitiful 38%. You think that has anything to do with soaring inflation? Um, I think it has uh, very little to do with soaring inflation, but I think the soaring inflation will pile on. Um, especially as people realize that their buying power is going down, the retirement savings are, you know, is going to be less effective if this type of inflation continues. And it's interesting for me to watch local Democrats try to blame Trump for this, uh, even though I think it's, it squarely falls on Biden's shoulders. And I'll, I'll be the first to say Trump is not blameless. He, 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 he signed on to the first round of stimulus and was, I think, involved in the second round as well. Um, but everything Biden has done, I mean, he's still trying to get the $3.5 trillion package, you know, uh, passed in addition to the, uh, you know, to the infrastructure bill that, that just went into effect. So, um, yeah, th this is uh, inflation run amok. Biden is now going to compete with Jimmy Carter as the worst president in, my, in our lifetimes. So. Yep. So this is what's so frustrating about this is wages are finally going up. You know, we've we've been hearing for years and knowing for years that uh, the wages have have stagnated. Yeah, especially at the lower end. And here they have really been rising. I mean, we saw that you can make twenty dollars if you're uh, working at Arby's right now. Pretty or amazing. Amazon twenty two dollars with a signing bonus. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it gets completely erased by inflation. If if your if wages go up five or six percent, that's pretty huge. But then it uh, gets erased six percent in a year. Not not uh, not overall. So anyway. All summer long, Biden's been telling us that inflation is transitory. That means it's going to go away and would be gone by fall. It's certainly here to stay. And once again, I just want to, I, I want to ding these guys again, because I think news media, national and local have been carrying water for Biden and acting like his press team when it comes to inflation, spreading the message, instead of asking real questions, just basically parroting the, the transitory thing and not, yeah, just not reflective at all. 
I started yeah. tweeting about inflation in June and all of the local Democrats, you know, like, oh, it's not real. It's not real. You know, yeah. look over there. there. There's no inflation happening. And 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 I'll tell you this now, five months later, they, they've dropped that. I mean, it, <laughs> nobody can say it's not real anymore. It's it's real. And so now they're saying, well, it's all Trump's fault. <laughs> so yeah, it's all Trump's fault. Or or we're going to address it by passing this infrastructure and uh, and and big huge domestic spending bill. Which yeah, because if we like, spend, if we pump another speak. four point seven trillion into the economy, yeah. that's going to reduce inflation. No, that will exacerbate the problem. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, speaking of the the thirty eight percent approval rating. We mentioned this last week when you were gone, but uh, Kamala Harris's approval rating is actually at 28%. Yeah. And you've, you've had a handful of news articles over the weekend, including one I was just reading a couple hours ago, that basically Dems don't think Biden will run again in 2024. No, or don't think he should. It won't matter if he runs again. He, he won't get nominated again. But so then the, the game is on to see who will replace him on the ticket. And Vice President Kamala Harris has even worse poll numbers than Biden. Uh, you know, it's it's it looks like Bush's numbers when when Iraq turned to complete chaos in like 2006, 2007. Yeah, so it's it's Kamala or Pete Buttigieg, but you know he may still be on paternity leave. In yeah, who knows if he's going to so. come back to work? I, yeah. I actually, I mean, I, there there was a headline article I think in the New York Times saying he's he he will be the most powerful tra- transportation secretary in American history because this in this infrastructure bill actually expands the authority of of the transportation secretary, which is to say he'll have the most authority and the most power ever, which is like very little, except when it comes to uh, making uh, judgment calls on, on grants. And which I was going to mention is, is just to me personally, I just find so offensive that, uh, that executive branch can make these grant uh, selections in the first place because they're entirely political during the Obama administration. It was just horrifically political. It's, picking it's not winners and losers and that's, picking that's, winners and losers. And it's not based on, you know, our, here in the state, we're going to have no 100 uh, percent. We have we have, uh, I'm sure, several projects that are very competitive and and they're going to get our senators and representatives involved in making that argument to the DOT and DOT will take them all the way down. Yeah, you're one of our finalists. Yeah, you're one of. Oh, it just turns out that this one in Illinois was be- it was just a better one. You know, this one in Massachusetts, this project. You were that close, but you know we just had to go. With, it's uh, it's 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 political at the end of the day, and it irritates me. Yeah, and Pete Buttigieg is so powerful that we've got tens of thousands of shipping containers sitting there, yeah, yeah waiting to be unloaded, and he and and he can't get them to to the to the stores in time for for Black Friday. That's how powerful he is. Yeah, exactly. Do something about that. I think we're way we're over, so we should, we should oh. probably cut it here, even though we had another topic. We'll talk. We'll, All right. Well, next week we'll talk about Chris Stewart has drawn Aaron Ryder as Republican challenger and maybe facing his first primary next yeah. year. So thanks for joining us. All we'll right. be back next week. Thanks, Good Corey. Good thing. Thanks. See you. All right. Bye-bye.